Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Then I'm going to ask our brother Bob Bruce, if he will, to come up with our scripture reading for the morning. Brother Bob, please. Appreciate the prayers on my behalf, my eyesight difficulties that I've been having for the past, I don't know, since I've had COPID, and I'm kind of wondering if that might have something to do with it. But at any rate, I'm still under the advisement of the doctors, and they, they're giving me treatments, and hopefully at some point I will have my eyesight restored. And I mention that because if I stumble a little bit, it's because of my eyesight. The uh, scripture reading this morning is from Jane, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons? For if there come un, unto your assembly a man with a gold ring, ring in goodly appoint, appearance, and there, let me get my Bible up a little closer. And there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have a respect to him that weareth a gay clothing, and say unto him, Set thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my brethren, beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not, not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill, fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect of persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, and hath showed no mercy, that hath, hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. Our speaker, not as a very familiar brother, Gary McBride's been doing our Wednesday evening Bible studies, and now he will be taking this Sunday, and I believe next Sunday as well, the Bible instruction time. So we're happy to return that over to our brother Gary. And if you didn't get one of the handouts that 
for giving out just the raise your hand, Brother Lenny will bring that by so you can follow along with that. Brother Gary. Thank you very much, Billy. Even if you didn't like my singing, glad to be with you. Now I could see out the front door, so I thought I'd let you see out my front window here. That cool you off a little bit? I'll say a happy anniversary to Lanny and Karen. Wish we could have been there, but uh, happy that they've gone 50 years. Congratulations to Karen. <laughs> so as we're looking at the book of, of James, uh, one of the ideas or thoughts is that of maturity in the Christian life. What is, what is spiritual maturity? And what we saw in the three sessions we've had in chapter one is that God is at work to make us mature. And so he uses suffering and he uses the scriptures. And so we face trials and temptations that through that God has a purpose. He wants to make us mature. We grow into uh, maturity. And we see this through the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, those people were worldly or carnal, not mature. Hebrews chapter 5, at the end of that chapter, he says, I can't feed you with solid food yet because you're still taking milk. You're immature. And so it's God's plan and purpose that we go on to maturity. And he works in our lives to that end. And so as the trials come, we're to count it all joy. Why? Because he's producing something in and through us. He's doing a work in us. And then as we spend time in the scripture, as we apply it, it'll affect various areas of our lives. And we saw at the end of chapter one, there's three areas of our life it should affect. Pure religion, undefiled before God and man is this. And should affect our conversation, how we talk to each other. Should affect our compassion, how we feel towards one another. And then it should affect our consecration to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, when we get to chapter two through chapter five, there the we have here, here the marks of maturity. So you see in your outline the marks of maturity. And the word that's often used in the New Testament is that of perfection, to go on uh, to perfection or to go on to maturity. Now, that's a goal in life, isn't it? Uh, many of us have raised children and our hope as they grow is that they learn uh, proper behavior. They learn as they mature. And ultimately, after they've gone through their teenage years, we hope that they're mature enough to move out on their own. We don't have to feed them anymore. We design uh, in family life is to go on and grow to maturity. And so that's true in spiritual things. I have a seven-year-old grandson who gets in trouble often for his remarks to uh, other people, especially to those who are older than him, and how he responds. Uh, he's acting his age. He's immature. Uh, he thinks he's being funny. His parents think he's being rude. I have granddaughters who are in their teen years. Uh, when they respond, especially to me, they don't respond with the same 
level of immaturity. They might roll their eyes or they might say, oh, grandpa, or they do other things, but uh, they, they act their age. And so it should be true of us in our Christian life that we go on to maturity. The Lord Jesus said our Father in heaven is perfect and we too should be perfect or mature in our Christian life. And one of the marks of maturity is how we respond to people, how we react and we respond to people. You know, our personality is what we get genetically. Your DNA determines your personality. You may be outgoing or introverted. Uh, you may be a mixture, but your personality is, is what comes to you uh, through your genetic pool. But character is what develops. And our character really is a combination of, of two things. It's, it's how we relate to people and the reputation we have with people. And that makes up character. And uh, as I say that, you might think of some people that you'd say, well, you know, there's just something missing in terms of their character. And you might say of other people, oh, they're gracious, they're kind, they're loving, they're concerned, they're compassionate. And those are words that depict character. And so that's what James wants us to consider as we view other people. Now, for non-Christians, we could, and you might think back to the days when you were an unbeliever, especially if you came from a non-Christian home, we can get away with treating people in a certain way, perhaps, because we can just avoid them or ignore them, walk away. But in the family of God, uh, we're bound together by a common bond. That is, we are children of God. We're part of the family of God. And the Lord places us into local assemblies. And you just know that in a local assembly, especially a decent size, there's going to be people of different ideas, different views, uh, different backgrounds, all sorts of things. If you were to read Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, in that local assembly, there were people of different social backgrounds, religious backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, uh, and there were uh, barbarians and Scythians as well. Uh, they were sort of on the outside, even of uh, what was social and, and ethnic and religious. And so you get thrust into an assembly and you have to learn to, to deal with people. And as you read through the New Testament, you recognize that there were problems back then with people. Uh, Paul talks to Timothy about how to deal with contentious people. Uh, you have uh, John talks about a man named Diotrephes. He says he loves to have the preeminence. He, he wants to uh, dominate. Uh, that's just his, his way of doing things. It's either his way or the highway. Uh, he was in a local assembly. Uh, you, you have in Philippians chapter 2, you have two women, Eudia and Sintichi. Uh, somebody has said odious and soon touchy. And so maybe in an assembly, you have people like that as well. And so we're brought into a community where we must get along with people. And so James has quite a bit to say about this, not only in the passage we read, but uh, a little bit in chapter one, and then again in chapter four, chapter five, he talks about our interaction uh, with with people and how we've got to view people and how we've got to relate uh, to people. And so 
in the passage that Bob read to us, uh, it talks about different people coming in among us. And Bob said that he had an eye problem. I would suggest that we all have an eye problem, not an EYE problem, but an eye problem, because we naturally uh, think of ourselves first. It's easy to think that our view is the right view. In fact, I get along very well with people who agree with me. I like other people to be right, but uh, sometimes people disagree. Sometimes they're even disagreeable. For those who have traveled to different countries and cultures, you recognize that people do things differently. And it's easy to think that what they do is, is wrong. You know, we lived in Zambia. Nobody ever announced the time for the meetings. They rang a bell when enough people were there and the meeting started. Uh, without an announcement in the cold season, the meeting started later. In the hot season, the meeting started earlier. Uh, they ended whenever. Uh, a meeting like we're having this morning, they would think was a ripoff. Uh, if it didn't go for about three, uh, three hours, they would think they're not getting their money's worth. And so they're very different culture than we have. I've been to Bolivia and their uh, meetings were announced for seven o'clock in the evening. They started at 8.30. That's when the people uh, showed up. And so when you travel, you recognize there are people uh, that have different views, different ideas, and we've got to relate to people that are different than us. And so what James talks about here in these verses that we read is how we view uh, other people. And he uses an example. Uh, he talks about one who is well-dressed, uh, obviously respectable, comes in, good appearance, has everything going for them. And, and we, uh, we want to identify with that. We want to maybe appeal to them, maybe to appease them to whatever. But we bend over backwards for that person as opposed to the one who comes in looking just the opposite. And so the person that comes in with filthy clothes is what the the Greek text says, uh, not just poor apparel, but filthy clothes. We say to that one, you know, you, you can't sit there. You've got to sit over here. And we make a distinction between people based on appearance. And so James tells us there's something wrong with, with that. He says, when you judge based on appearance. Now, based, depending on our background or ethnicity, we may struggle with some of these, these things, depending on where we're raised, how we're raised, those types of things. We may struggle with some of these issues. It may not be dress, it may be color, it may be uh, habits, it may be culture, it may be various things that uh, we, would, we would struggle uh, with. And so we have to be conscious. first six verses of uh, chapter five, he's going to deal with, with rich people. So obviously this was an issue in that day that may not be an issue to the same extent uh, today, but he keeps coming back to this idea of what the rich do or what the rich are like and uh, in contrast to uh, the poor. Uh, if you go in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
we'll see a God's perspective. First Corinthians chapter one, Paul is dealing with some similar issues. <clears throat> First Corinthians one, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. And so Paul says, just think of yourself. Where did you come from? What have you got to uh, offer that somebody else does not have? So back to James, he says, don't uh, elevate the rich man at the expense of the poor man. Now, it's true that rich people do get saved. Back in the 1830s, 1840s in the south of Ireland, uh, many of those who were in the start of what we would refer to as the Brethren Movement were from nobility or upper class. One of them, uh, Lady Powers Court, uh, very well known in those days. She had an estate that's about eight miles south of Dublin and many conferences, prophetic conferences, took place on the, at the Powers Court uh, estate, which it was said of her that she was so thankful for the letter M. It didn't say not any noble were saved, but not many noble uh, were saved. And so God, obviously, uh, is no respecter of persons, but it's easy, it easy for us to become that way. And so he talks to the, the rich, or about the rich. If you look over in chapter five of James, and just, we won't read it, but if you just scan down the first six verses, uh, what he says about rich people there in that culture and that time and what was happening to these poor believers who were being scattered uh, abroad. So uh, what might happen, verses one to four, uh, God's view of it in verse uh, five to seven, but then in verses eight to 13, he makes an application here and the call for us, of course, the royal law of scripture is love your neighbor as yourself. It's a royal law in the sense that it covers uh, at least six of the Ten Commandments, how we view others, what we think of others. Of course, in the New Testament, the standard is even higher uh, to love as Christ has loved is a higher standard than to love your neighbor as yourself. But James presents this as as what is to characterize us. We have to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And so we're not to show favoritism. And then he draws this analogy or illustration from the law. What's it take to be called a thief or to become a thief? How many times do you have to steal in order to be a thief? How many times do you have to murder in order to become a murderer? How many times do you have to break the law in order to become a lawbreaker? And so that's his point, is that we may look at some things and say, well, this isn't so bad. But James's point is that we break the law. We live in a culture where people are uh, re-branding re, uh, things. And so 
no longer is adultery used, it's common law or living together. And people discount those things that, that God says uh, are important and that are a violation of his standard. And so he wants us to realize that there are things that, that we may discount as being minor, but makes us a lawbreaker. If you were to look at Colossians 3 verse 8, uh, Paul tells us we're to get rid of certain things out of our life, and they're things that are easily excusable, anger and wrath and so on. And yet God wants us to deal with these uh, things. And so he says if we show partiality or prejudice in this way, he says we become a transgressor of the law. And so we are a lawbreaker. And he goes on to say that uh, we've got to think of the fact that we will be judged by the law of liberty. Now, the judgment he's talking about here is not judgment to a lost eternity, but it's the idea of uh, standing before a judge and giving an account of what's gone on. And so we know that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, that nothing can separate us from the love of God uh, that's in Christ Jesus. But there is this sense that we are accountable. And of course, uh, at least three times in the New Testament, it talks about the judgment seat of Christ and the fact that we are accountable. And here too, the idea is if we refuse to, be, to show mercy, we will not be shown mercy. And this is a thought through the New Testament as well. Now, all of us who are saved have received mercy. That's the forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. But in a Christian life, uh, we still need mercy. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we can approach the throne of grace to find grace and mercy to help in a time of need. And so mercy is, is needed. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. But also there is this thought in the New Testament that if, if we do not show mercy, we will not receive mercy. So you think of the Lord's Prayer, so-called. Uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or the steward who was forgiven but then went and grabbed his fellow servant and threw him in prison. And the Lord's application there was that that man would not be shown mercy because he did not show mercy. And so it's so important how we think of others and how we deal with others without partiality, without prejudice, without racism, without social uh, distinctions. That can be very, very difficult. Now, of course, there's other passages in the New Testament that talk about discernment, not to cast our pearls before swine, and so on. And so there is this sense of discernment, but there is this other side of, of the coin, we might say, of not making a distinction. And so it takes maturity in these things. Now, James has two other passages that I want to include with this that talk about how we deal with one another. And so in James chapter 4, verse 11, James 4 and verse 11, where he says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. 
He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but not a doer of the law. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Well, going back to the previous point, discernment is a mark of maturity. Uh, there are times when we need to discern. I've met Christians who have children uh, who are living in sin and the parents enable that behavior. Uh, perhaps it's drug use or alcoholism. And they, through their finances, uh, support that person and enable behavior. It takes some discernment to know how to respond and how to act. But here, it's not a matter of discernment. It's a matter of activity. It all starts with an attitude, doesn't it? What's in our, what's in our mind? How do we respond? How do we react to people? And so he says, we're not to speak evil of one another. And he's talking to Christians. And you'd think, well, that could never be true. But uh, there are, remember, six things in the book of Proverbs. The Lord hates, just seven are abomination to him. And one of those seven is he that sows discord among his brethren. And so to speak evil of one another is a terrible, terrible thing. It's very difficult when we've been offended, we've been hurt, when we know we are right, uh, when the majority sides with us, uh, to take a gracious tone towards others. Now there is, as I said, discernment and times sin has to be judged and things have to be dealt with. Doctrine has to be upheld. The deity of Christ has to be proclaimed. The gospel saved by grace has to be uh, upheld as well. But I think we can all enter into what James is saying here, not to speak evil of one another, not to spread gossip or, or malign another person's character. Now, I've been in situations because of our experience in so many assemblies where things have happened, where people have said terrible things about other people. Uh, I was in an assembly once where most of what was said was through emails. And after about four years, one of the men went back over his emails and recognized how cruel and demeaning he had been. And he went to the other man and uh, apologized. And the other man said, oh, I deleted all those. He didn't dwell on them. He just got rid of them. And so it's a terrible thing to speak evil of one another. In fact, James says there's a consequence to that. If you are putting yourself in the position of a judge because you feel you're right and they're wrong and that you can pass sentence on them, he says you are putting yourself above the law. Well, who is above the law? He says there's only one lawgiver, that is God in heaven. So in essence, he's saying you are usurping the position and authority that God alone has. So that's a very serious matter. And so we really need to be careful about how we speak to one another. Uh, there was a theo theologian who said this. I think his name was Peter Rabbit. If you can't say something good, don't say nothing at all. And that's good advice. 
that we guard our tongue. I was involved in a situation once that uh, would easily have degenerated, and my prayer to the Lord through it was, Lord, don't let me sin with my lips. Don't let me fall into that trap of speaking evil of someone else, even if I think they're in the wrong. And so uh, James is very pointed uh, here in his, his thoughts toward us. If you were to look over at chapter 5, verse 9, he again addresses this thought or idea. He says, do not grumble against one another, brethren. Uh, the word there is to groan, or we might say complain. But again, it's a, a verbal uh, expression. So don't grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And so here again, he talks about how we interact and how we deal with one another. We mentioned Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, those two women weren't getting along. And it seems that Paul's letter to the Philippians uh, had this thought in mind that uh, there's discord and it has to be dealt with. You need the mind of Christ. But he also said that everything be done without uh, arguments and complaints. And he tied that to the uh, testimony of the assembly. He says, because you want to shine as lights in the world. It's a dark world and they need to see the light. And if all they see is discord, uh, then he says you're a poor testimony. You're not upholding the light. You are darkening the testimony. And sadly, the history of the Christian church has been one of acrimony, of splits and of divisions, of saying evil about others, grumbling and complaining. And so it's something that should be uh, put away uh, from us, uh, how we interact and view one another. And so, again, he says, uh, the danger is to be condemned. The speck in, uh, the plank in your eye may not allow you to see properly the speck in your brother's eye. And so he says, you may be condemned. Then he reminds us, the judge is standing at the door. How sad to be caught in a situation like that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Um, John in John, 1 John 2.28 talks about not being ashamed before him at his coming. And so how sad it would be to find out that you've been saying these things about a fellow believer and now you've got to spend eternity uh, together. And the Lord, uh, the judge is at the door. And that's true, isn't it? We perhaps live in an age that's, that's uh, very close to his coming. Uh, Romans 14 says his coming is much sooner or closer now than the day you believed. That's true. Uh, I can almost hear his footfall on the threshold of the door. And so we may be mindful of these things as we deal with one another, what we say about each other. You read the book of Proverbs, has so much to say about this type of thing. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and here Paul is uh, giving Timothy some uh, direction and in terms of dealing uh, with others. He talks about being a vessel 
fit for the master's use or prepared for every good work. He says in 2 Timothy 2, 23 or 22, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a perfect heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so they may know the truth. And so he says, don't get caught up in those types of things. And so the mark of maturity, how do we relate and how do we react to others? Now to make this practical, maybe there's someone in our life and experience that we've not been uh, spiritually mature in our dealings with them. Perhaps there's things that some of us need to make uh, right uh, in that regard. Uh, remember we talked on Wednesday night about not just being hearers of the word, but doers. And so uh, perhaps there are uh, some areas in our life we need to apply this. And we certainly do not want to be prejudiced uh, towards people, regardless of of ethnicity, social standing, race, color, whatever it might be. Um, you think of those who, who show consideration based on these things. He says, you won't receive mercy, uh, condemnation instead. And how serious it is to, to be a lawbreaker, to put ourselves above the law, to usurp the place that God alone has, and the fact that God in his mercy reaches out He's not willing that any should perish. Not many noble, not many mighty, not many rich. And he says, look at your own selves. Where have you come from? And so, mark of maturity. How we deal with others. Perhaps in some ways, as we go through the rest of James, this part, uh, this passage in James 2, and then what he has to say about the tongue, are perhaps the most difficult aspects of maturity for us to put into practice in our lives but that's what the lord wants of us he works in us to make mature and then he says here are the marks of maturity let's close in a word of prayer father we thank you for your word we thank you that you are no respecter of persons uh, you save whosoever will that would call on the name of the lord you're the Lord Jesus said, come unto me, all you who thirst, or all you who are heavy laden. There was no distinction. He dealt with a leper. He dealt with Gentiles. And Father, we thank you that uh, even in the story of the Good Samaritan, we can see the love of God demonstrated. And so, Father, help us to have that same attitude, not to, to be judgmental, not to be uh, prejudiced or show partiality not to speak evil of other believers, not to grumble or groan or complain against other believers, to recognize our position and your position, and to live in the light of the fact that the judge is at the door and that the Lord Jesus could return any time. So bless your word to our hearts. We pray that we would be doers. We would be obedient uh, to what you want us to be. We pray as we commit ourselves to you in the Savior's name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.